Hi, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. This is episode four, The Power of Permission, part two. How is everything going? How are your wants and your desires? Are you having fun experimenting, thinking about things that you want, things that you would like to have happen, things that you would like to experience? I love hearing stories about you and the wants that you're discovering and how opening the mind and the heart is creating space for those wants to come into our life. We have had a major snowstorm here. We have not had a storm like this in years. I cannot remember this much snow on the ground since I was in college. A student at Utah State, I remember walking up to campus at 5.30 in the morning in the biggest blizzard of my life. I was listening to the radio and I heard that all of the other colleges around the state were canceling school for the day but not Utah State, not the Aggies. Aggies come from agriculture. Agriculture are farmers and farmers never get a snow day, right? Farmers work and go out and feed the animals and defrost the frozen pipes and keep going no matter what the weather is. Extreme cold, extreme heat, farmers keep going. And that's what happened here too. The School districts all around us canceled, except our school district kept ours open. So I sent my kids off to school and my oldest is pretty tall and he was walking in snow that was knee deep. So it's kind of magical here as I'm scripting this episode. It's very windy and it's snowing and it creates this feeling of living inside a snow globe. So wherever you are, if it's snowy, be safe, be safe out there. Today is episode four, The Power of Permission, part two. Last week, I introduced the principle of permission and how hard it is as humans to give ourselves permission. I really admire people who are the first to climb a mountain or the first to do something amazing. I am much more the other way. I am far more comfortable saying, oh, you go right ahead, you go first, and I'll copy exactly what you do. It could be really hard to go for something just because I say I can. We like to be asked to do it, or we like to have someone outside of us tell us that we can or that we're good enough. So sometimes we get permission by default, either by seeing or hearing that someone else has done it, or by being asked to do it, or sometimes we have a wake-up call in our life, like an illness or an accident or a near-death experience that can give us default permission, and it can also give us a lot of courage to go for something. But the principle here is that we don't need outside permission. We are in charge of our own lives and nobody else needs to give us permission to go for things. Initially for today's episode, this was going to be part two of the power of permission and then be done. And I was going to cover five areas of life where we often fail to give ourselves permission. These are really powerful areas. And as I scripted each point, I realized that covering all five was way too much to bite off at one time. My brain was swelling as I was typing. It made me think of a Far Side cartoon I'd seen years ago, where a student in the middle of class raises his hand and says, Teacher, may I be excused? My brain is full. I don't want anybody's brain to explode. I don't have podcast malpractice insurance. So how about we take this nice and easy one at a time? Is that okay? 
All right, I do want to give an overview of these five principles as a trailer, a teaser, a little sneak peek at what's to come. And maybe just by mentioning them, you'll start to think about them and start to have experiences already on your own. It's kind of that way whenever you learn a new word, isn't it? You swear you've never heard that word before. And then once you learn what it means, you read it in the book that you have and you hear people say it all the time. So kind of the same thing with a new concept, just hearing about it can open doors to start seeing it and how it works in life. These are five areas of life where we tend to struggle to give ourselves permission. And I'll list these in no particular order. One of these is permission to be bad at things. Another is permission to be happy. Ooh, that's a big one. Permission to be happy and permission to be happy in my life right now. Another one is permission to make life easier. A fourth one is permission to play. And how about this? Permission to play even before the work is done. Ooh, that's a good one. And another one is permission to make decisions. Ooh, even just talking about them makes me excited. They're all very powerful. And as we discuss these areas, I hope you'll see how powerful the simple act of giving yourself permission can make significant, positive, and powerful changes in day-to-day living. It's really a mindset switch, isn't it? Giving permission is really small effort with big results, big changes for the better. So which one of these five are we going to tackle today? Which one? Which one do you want? Should we spin the wheel? Which one are you hoping for? Maybe you already know because I decided to put it in my title or decided to talk about it in the email. So maybe this isn't a surprise, but today I've chosen to talk about the power of permission to make life easier. What? You say? Yes, you heard me. Permission to make my life easier. Really? Is that a thing? Aren't we supposed to work hard and put forth our best effort in every single thing that we do? What is that old saying that any task worth doing is worth doing well? If any of you are like me, we grew up hearing that life is supposed to be hard, that life is supposed to be full of trials and tribulations, and that everybody has adversity. I heard so many of these stories growing up that by the time I was newly married, I was a little worried because I hadn't really had any big tragedy or trial come to my life. I had a pretty blessed childhood, great parents, I was never abused, we didn't have any divorce in our family or death or major illnesses. No really big tragedies. We weren't rich, but my parents always provided plenty of opportunities for us. So I was pretty much living day to day, waiting for my big trial, anticipating my big tribulation. And I kind of felt unworthy to be on the earth and have things so good. And I think it turned into a false belief that if my life is too happy, Or even worse, if my life looks too blessed or looks too easy, then I must not be worthy or I must not be doing something right. I must not be trying hard enough. If things weren't hard for me, if I wasn't having trials, then maybe I wasn't working hard enough. Maybe I wasn't challenging myself enough. And so what happened? I spent years making my life harder than it needed to be. And I want to emphasize that this is a false belief. Life does not have to be hard. Life is not meant to be hard. Life is hard because we make it hard in our thoughts and our emotions. Yes, we will have challenges. Yes, things will come up. Yes, loved ones get sick. Accidents happen. Crazy things happen. These things don't have to be hard. And more importantly, we don't have to make our life hard to justify for maybe not having one of those trials at the moment. 
I want to break this down into four subpoints today. Number one, decomplicating life. Number two, permission to do less. Number three, letting go of the 4.0. And number four, solving problems without a fuss. So with the first one, decomplicating life, I was really searching for a word. I think we hear simplify so much that it gets kind of washed down. It's a washed out word. Simplify, simplify, make things more simple. And so I didn't want to say simplify. I wanted to say decomplicate, decomplicate my life because that's exactly the opposite of what I used to do. I would complicate my life. I would make it so much more complicated than it needed to be. Sherry Dew wrote an awesome book entitled, If Life Were Easy, It Wouldn't Be Hard. And in it, she tells a story of a time when she was staying in a hotel and the hotel's fire alarm went off in the middle of the night and they all had to evacuate the hotel and she was up on one of the higher floors. Now she had meetings the next day and she didn't know if they were going to be able to get back into the hotel so that she could get dressed and ready for her meetings and she never wanted to appear without makeup. So she grabbed all of her suitcases and all of her things and started leaving the hotel and they couldn't use the elevators. So she's walking down the stairs carrying luggage in each arm and she gets down one more flight and one more flight and she's realizing that nobody else is carrying their luggage. Everybody else is just getting out of the hotel, but she ends up packing her luggage down. I don't know how many flights of stairs. And in the long run, she ended up blowing out her knees and having to get double knee replacement surgery. And she relates this to how we can make life events much more complicated than they need to be by the baggage that we carry around, by the things that we choose to pack with us. Long ago, I started running out of ideas of what to make for dinner. And I would ask my husband, what should I make for dinner? And he would say, what's the easiest? And I thought, is that even an option? I thought my options for dinner were, what can I make that looks fancy, that is the tastiest, that is a new recipe, that looks pretty, that everybody's going to like, that nobody is going to complain about, that can use up food that I have in my refrigerator, and isn't something that I've made in the past month. I felt that to be a good mother, I had to always be making new recipes, that my meals had to be homemade and chopped and cooked and mixed and homemade rolls and a dessert to go with them and a vegetable on the side. And it took me years to believe that he was sincere, that he just wanted what was the most simple. He just wanted dinner done, food in the belly in the most easy way possible. We'll have a nice dinner here and there and a roast on Sunday. For the most part, we eat the same five meals over and over again. Hamburgers, tacos, soup and sandwiches, baked chicken in some form, and pizza. This was a completely new paradigm to me that I could choose what was the simplest thing to make for dinner. And at the speed my boys are outgrowing their clothing, I can pretty much guarantee they're not starving. A good friend once said to me, some people are simplifiers and some people are magnifiers. And as I've thought about this, I think that we are all both. I think that we do both at times. I think there are things that we choose to simplify so that we can magnify other areas. And that if we're trying to magnify everything we do all the time, that's not healthy. We will go crazy. We will burn out, nervous breakdown, chronic illness, autoimmune disease. And I do see that in my life. There are things that I want to magnify. There are things that I want to put my heart and soul into and really make an effort to go all out. And I'm really best able to do that when I simplify other areas of my life. I've been a Cub Scout Den leader for 
a few years now, and there's a motto in one of the manuals, some advice about planning Cub Scout activities, and it uses the acronym KISSMIF, K-I-S-M-I-F, and it stands for Keep It Simple, Make It Fun. KISSMIF, Keep It Simple, Make It Fun. That's a fun little six-letter treasure that I've gotten from my service in the Cub Scouts. When I start to feel stressed about something, planning an activity or a lesson, family night, dinner, that comes to mind. KISSMIF. Is there a way I can keep it simple and make it fun? So you can take that acronym and put it in your back pocket and sit on it, pull it out every once in a while when things feel overwhelming. Keep it simple, make it fun. Number two, permission to do less. I think a lot of us have the idea, and I know I still struggle with feeling that I have to do everything and that I have to do, be good at everything in order to be a worthwhile person. I grew up in the 1980s, sandwiched between my conservative religious upbringing and the 1980s feminist movement, and I really struggled as I was coming of age deciding what I would do. Would I be a traditional stay-at-home conservative mother, or would I be a working professional modern woman? And so I made the courageous decision not to decide. I believed I could do both and that I would do both. I would figure out how to bake my own bread, sew clothes for my children, and run my old wildly successful business from home. And I tried for years to do it. I tried to do everything at 100% performance. And the end of that story was depression, chronic illness, autoimmune disease. We are not meant to do everything, to do everything well, and to do everything right now. We have seasons of life. We have specialties. We have periods of dormancy. Some of my favorite metaphors come from nature. When you think of trees, trees only have leaves six months of the year. For half of the year, they're not in bloom. Their branches are naked. They're in dormancy, nourishing their roots and getting prepared to bloom the next spring. For permission to do less, I call on my pink slip principle. This is when I remind myself that I am the CEO of my life and I need to make choices about firing or laying off people, divisions, contractors that aren't serving my current company mission. It's nothing personal, just business. Last week I mentioned a few like decorating and birthday parties. Sometimes these things are really hard to let go of. For example, baking. I used to have a major baking day at least once a month and I would make homemade yeast breads, rolls, cookies, quick breads like zucchini bread and pumpkin bread. My neighbors knew when it was baking day. But in the past couple of years, my life situation has changed. I became gluten-free, my older two children left home, and I've wanted to spend more time writing and teaching. So baking has kind of gotten the pink slip. And believe me, I have all kinds of guilt and brain buzz telling me that I'm not a good mom anymore. My mom always baked for me. And today with this snowstorm, I had the fattest urge to get out the Bosch and mix some cinnamon rolls. And I have spent the day wrestling with my brain, who's telling me that I should abandon working on this podcast and that my kids should have warm cinnamon rolls right out of the oven, waiting for them on the kitchen counter when they come back from their snowy day, that this is what will make me a good mother. And that's when I have to sit in my CEO chair and straighten my CEO tie and tell my brain, sorry, baking got the pink slip. Nothing personal, just business. Also, about 11 o'clock, all my neighbors came out and started shoveling the snow. And I used to shovel so many driveways. 
So I'm scripting this podcast and watching all of the neighbors come and help each other clear their driveways and clear the sidewalks so the kids can walk home from school. And my brain starts reminding me how impressed my husband would be if he comes home and the driveway's all cleared. And that a podcast really isn't that oppressive. And who knows if anybody's even going to listen to these podcast episodes anyway. And that I should get off my lazy katushki and get my snow clothes on and get out there with a shovel and get to good hard work. And again, that's when I get in my CEO chair and straighten my CEO tie and say, pink slip, snow shoveling got the pink slip. The boys are older now, they're stronger, they handle the snow shoveling. My company mission right now is focused on teaching and scripting a podcast is work. So brain, go find something else to do and I'm going to keep wrestling with words on this script. So for the time being, baking, snow shoveling, they've gotten the pink slip. I can always hire them back later. And maybe even there will be a day when I do some baking contract work or I take a break and help shovel for a little while. The point is that as CEO of Malia's life, it's my responsibility to decide what stays and what goes and to be wise in knowing that I can't hire every employee, produce every product and accomplish every task that exists in the world. And just for fun, here are a couple of other things that have received a pink slip from the Malia Life Corporation. Zucchini. A few years ago, in a practice of decomplicating my life and giving myself permission to do less, I gave myself permission to throw away zucchini. I can hear my mother cringing as she listens. So is my little sister. So a few years after moving to Utah, I realized that I had a full-time job trying to figure out ways to utilize all the zucchini my garden produced. Every spring, we plant four or more zucchini plants because One might die or two might die, or sometimes I've even had a year where all four have died. Gardening is a gamble you never really know. And then sometimes you have a year where all of your zucchini plants survive, and by July, you are living in the midst of zucchini warfare. And during one of those years of bumper zucchini crops, I was working as a full-time zucchini manager. I was hunting new recipes, I was cooking, I was experimenting, zucchini for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I was shredding, freezing, baking. I was trying to give it away for church, but everybody else was in the same sinking zucchini boat that I was. There's a joke in Utah that you have to lock your car doors in August, not because something will get stolen, but because people will fill your car with zucchini. I was spending a lot of time and effort calling around, asking around, do you need zucchini? Could you use some zucchini? Until one day in the middle of one of my mental meetings, we the committee made a decision that it was okay to not find a use for every piece of zucchini that grew on my plant, especially because zucchini plants are like that serpent snake in Greek mythology that when you cut off one head, it grows back two. You pick a zucchini and two grow back in its place. And so I decided, catch that? I decided that it was okay for me to use the amount of zucchini that my family needed, that my garden existed to serve us, that we didn't exist to serve our garden. And so we made zucchini a welcome and invited part of our life and a diet and let go of the feeling of obligation to utilize every morsel of zucchini. So what this looked like was that I stopped wrapping up zucchini halves. If I only used half a zucchini for the pasta recipe, I didn't leave the other half sitting on my cabinet until it attracted fruit flies and got moldy. I stopped keeping containers of leftover sauteed zucchini in the refrigerator. I gave myself permission to put our excess zucchini 
in the compost, where its nutrients could be digested and utilized by my red wiggler composting worms and become beautiful, rich fertilizer for the garden next year. I guess I could say I didn't really give zucchini a pink slip. I still love zucchini. I gave saving leftover zucchini a pink slip. I gave feeling obligated to utilize every morsel of zucchini that got the pink slip. And the benefit of that is that my kitchen had much fewer fruit flies and much less molding fruit. And at this point in the podcast, my husband and my sons are laughing hysterically because just last Saturday, they cleaned off the garage counter and put quite a bit of molding, disgusting zucchini and squash out into the compost that I have been saving to use during the winter. And I guess that just goes to show that as a podcaster, I can teach a perfect principle and not be perfect in practicing the principle and say that five times fast. One of the hardest things I've ever had to pink slip in my life was scrapbooking. As a new mother, I believed that to be a good mother, I had to scrapbook because that's what good mothers do. I believed that on my mothering report card, scrapbooking would probably account for like 80% of my grade. Plus I have sisters-in-law who are brilliant scrapbookers. So of course I would compare myself to them. They keep elaborate scrapbooks. So I bought the 12 by 12 photo albums and matching paper and stickers and special scissors to make the decorative cutouts. And I dreamed of having a scrapbooking desk and a scrapbooking room with stacks of scrapbooking equipment and hours and hours to myself to scrapbook. And it never would happen. And I always felt behind in my scrapbooking. And my scrapbooks didn't end up looking elaborate and cute and crafty. They actually ended up looking rather scrappy. And I always felt stress of being behind and not having enough of the right scrapbook supplies and not having enough time to scrapbook until I finally realized scrapbooking isn't my big dream and that it was okay to give myself permission to let it go. And scrapbooking got a pink slip. Does that make sense? I had to give myself permission that it was okay to not want that and I could still be a good mother. I could be a good mother and not have cute elaborate scrapbooks. So scrapbooking, pink slip. The third sub-principle here is to let go of the 4.0. This is really a clever way of saying embrace imperfection. But just like with the word simplify, I think that we hear the words perfection and imperfection used so much that it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It helps me to think about not having to give 100% in every area of my life, that I don't have to score an A plus in everything I do. There are plenty of tasks in my day that are just fine with a C average. It's the same concept of the simplifying and magnifying. There are things I can choose to perform on a lower scale so that I have the energy and resources to go for the 100% in the things that matter more to me. I heard an interview with Ann Romney and she was talking about when her five boys were at home and she would get them all ready for church alone on a Sunday morning because Mitt would of course be already gone to church meetings and that church started at nine o'clock. So what she would do is that she would dress her boys in their Sunday clothes on Saturday night and let them sleep in their Sunday clothes. So Sunday morning, wake up, brush off some of the wrinkles, smooth down the hair, good enough. This was an aha moment for me too. Really? You can do that? You don't have to freshly shower your children and iron their shirts and make sure that they have a belt and matching socks on a Sunday morning. Really, it's okay to not perform at 100% in every aspect of life. It's okay to have places where you can give a 70% effort and that's okay. 
That's kind of how I am with scrapbooking now. I still like family pictures and I like to keep them in albums. So I gave myself permission to print out pictures once a year and slide them into those sleeves of the ready-made albums. No stickers, no decorations. And I'm still behind on those albums too. That's totally okay because I've given myself permission for that not to be a priority. My scrapbooks right now are probably scoring a low D minus. Housekeeping is another area that for me, 70% effort, maybe 80% at times, that's okay. I came to realize that we were serving our house. I was serving my house instead of my house serving me, instead of my house serving our family. And I realized that I wanted my house and everything in it to be a tool to support my life and our family life that I didn't want to exist for our house and keeping it maintained to a hospital level of sterilization. So we keep things mostly hygienic, try to keep the dishes washed and out of the sink. Once a week, we'll clean the bathrooms and disinfect the toilets and try to run the vacuum every now and then and dust. I would describe my house as somewhat orderly with clear signs of life and ample evidence of recent human activity. It's mostly hygienic, certainly not spit polished, probably about a B minus, maybe a C plus. This principle of letting go of the 4.0 has become hugely important to me in my endeavor to become a writer. Writing or any artistic endeavor is never finished. It's never perfect. There's never a final product that you feel like you couldn't tweak or change or improve in some way. So I've definitely had to change my mindset about the writing I produce and what I put out into the world. And I have to be okay with it going out at maybe a 75%. Sometimes it will get right up there. Maybe it's a 90%. And it has to be okay because real art that exists in its imperfect form is much better and more valuable than perfect art that is trapped in the imagination. Fourth and final principle and my favorite. I saved this for last on purpose. The fourth and final principle is permission to solve problems without a fuss. Yes, there are challenges in life, but have you ever noticed that there are some people who never seem to have problems and then there are other people who seem to never run out of problems and you're like, what's up with that? And then you get to know the people who never seem to have problems and you discover that, oh my goodness, they do have problems just like everybody else. They just don't make a big deal out of them. Whereas the people who always seem to have problems, the smallest issue becomes like this enormous drama. When we were living in Arizona, we had a couple of great friends and this couple were so chill about life. It seemed like things were always smooth sailing. And as I got to know them better, I realized that they had just as many irksome family issues as I did. Their appliances broke down unexpectedly, just like mine did. They lost jobs and bank accounts and had unfair bosses just the same way but they took it all in stride. They figured it out, they solved it the best way they could, and they went on to the next thing. One day I was talking to my friend and the topic of High School Musical came up and she said, oh yeah, I've seen High School Musical. I watched it one Saturday morning when I wasn't feeling very well. And I was like frozen mid-conversation, completely astonished. Really? You can just lay on a couch on a Saturday morning until you get feeling better? If I got sick on a Saturday morning, I would thrash and rail against the universe. I can't be sick. I can't stay in bed. I have to do laundry and Saturday chores and shopping and blah, 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 blah. Besides, worthy disciples don't stay in bed on Saturday morning and watch High School Musical. 
I would thrash and rail and resist being sick and fight against it and would end up making my life so much harder, so much more complicated and being sick longer than I needed to be. This couple, they were awesome. I used to always say, you know, if their kitchen ceiling caved in, they would just go, oh, look, our ceiling caved in. Isn't that interesting? I'll get a broom, you call the roofer, and then we can get on with lunch. And that's the lesson that I learned from my friends is that you can take care of what comes your way without making it into a big drama, without throwing a tizzy fit. I'm not really great at it, but over the years I've tried to take a lesson from their book of life. And a couple of weeks ago, I had the perfect opportunity arise to put into practice this principle of solving problems without a fuss. So out of the blue, one day there was a lump in my breast. One day it wasn't there and the next day it was. And it was hard and big and round like one of those queenie sized marbles. And for about two seconds, I debated whether I should tell this story on my podcast. But I think I have a pretty good read on my podcast listeners. And I know that you're a mature audience and that you are in possession of sound understanding that women have parts. Men have parts too. And that sometimes the issues that arise in our life come from these parts. And this story is such a good example of how this principle of permission is really changing my life. Because the 10-year-ago Malia, the 10-year-younger Malia, if this had happened, would have fretted for hours about whether or not to call a doctor. What about the copay? Would the insurance cover another mammogram in a year if I had just had one? What if it really isn't anything and I go to the doctor and the doctor just rolls her eyes because I'm so dumb that I don't know that 40 plus year old boobs get lumps? And what if I wasted my husband's hard earned dollars over nothing at all, then I would feel so embarrassed and that I really should have known better that after age 40, every body part is going to get more saggy, lumpy, droopy, and bumpy. Then on the other end of the spectrum, I would have worked myself into a frenzy. What if it is a tumor? What if it is the big C? What if, and on and on, and that change of thought until I'm planning my own funeral. That's what the old Malia would have done. But guess what? I had awesome neighbors in Arizona and they showed me how to solve problems without a fuss. So guess what I did? I called a doctor. I didn't call my mom in panic. I didn't Marco Polo my sisters. And maybe that wasn't such a good idea because when they hear this from the podcast, they might call me up and say, why didn't you tell us you had a lump in your boobie? And I'll say, because I'm practicing giving myself permission to solve problems without making a fuss. I give myself permission to take the next best reasonable step right now. I give myself permission to access the resources available to me, including hard-earned dollars for a copay and her insurance benefits and the screening technology, because why not? I can solve issues the best way I know how without a fuss. And the big positive about all of this is I really felt like I've protected my body from unnecessary stress and worrying. And I felt like my brain has been clear from getting clogged up with the fretting and the fear. And so I've been able to access more problem solving ability that might normally make a situation even more complicated. And because we know that life is rarely one and done, that there are usually more complicated steps in between. When I called my doctor's office that very day, because I made the decision to, they couldn't schedule me an appointment for four weeks. So that was an open door for worry and fretting and everything to start. And I made a conscious effort to focus on problem solving and on doing the next best thing that I could. So I called the hospital and asked if I could self-refer for a mammogram. Then I called my doctor's office back and asked if they could just send over an order to the hospital for a mammogram. And it turned out that by all of my asking, they were able to get me in within a couple of days. And I want to take a minute and compliment myself. 
I'm proud that I focused on problem solving, that I didn't let decision-making become messy with complicated emotion, and proud that I don't have an outline for my funeral program written in one of my gazillion notebooks. Permission to solve problems without a fuss. I like it. I'm going to keep that principle in my back pocket and pull it out often when life presents new interesting situations. And I probably won't be perfect in practicing that principle, and that's okay. I'm way better than I was before. And that brings us to the end of four ways to help make life easier by decomplicating life. Decomplicate. The opposite of complicate. Kismith. Keep it simple. Make it fun. Permission to do less. Pull out that book of pink slips and put them to use. Let go of the 4.0 and solving problems without a fuss. All powerful tools for giving ourselves permission to make life easier. And what is so interesting that I've observed is that anytime I make an effort to do less, to make things more simple, I always end up getting more done. And in a way that seems almost effortless. It seems a little counterintuitive that by doing less and shooting for less than perfection, we almost always end up accomplishing more and having it turn out better. I can't really explain it. That's why it's a power principle. It's like magic. The power principle of permission. Giving ourselves permission to make life easier. And that's my wish for you, that you have a great week. That your week feels a little easier, but is even more rich and fulfilling. This is Malia Warner. Thanks for listening. I will meet you back here for the next great episode of Power Principles, the podcast. And kiss Smith, my friends. Keep it simple, make it fun.